Hello, friends, and welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Michael Carey, and this episode is part three of a three-part women's panel series. If you missed the first two, you want to go back and listen to those first before listening to this episode. Otherwise, please enjoy uh, this final episode of this awesome women's panel. Uh, The next question is, what can we do or say when our wives say they forgive us but blame every issue on our betrayal? And likewise, how can we address issues of how we are treated even uh, before being found out without seeming defensive? All right, this is my favorite question. (laughs) I have to say, there's so much in this question (laughs) to like pull apart. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. I love that this question is here. I love that this guy is here. He's here. He's trying to recover and wants to know, wants to get help. Um, Okay, so I'm gonna gonna kind of take it in parts. What can we do or say when our wives say they forgive us? but blame every issue on our betrayal. So first a word about forgiveness. For me going through this process, um, forgiveness at times became the F word. And at, some people in this field call it the F word because, because it, it can be so misused. You know, It's a painful misused word. So in this case, I, I would first say forgiveness is a process. And if your recovery and sobriety is a process, her forgiveness has to be a process because every time it happens, she has to feel it again. She has to forgive you again. And I want to say this to men who are really trying. Um, When you have a slip or when you um, cross your values, um, you do not go back to square one. You are on a road. We all know that recovery includes slips and, um, But when she gets hit with the news again, in many ways, emotionally, she does go back to square one. So that can happen at the same time. She gets sent back to square one, but that doesn't mean your progress goes back to square one. But really forgiveness really in many ways has to be like a process and be allowed to be a process since recovery is a process. The other thing about forgiveness is... um, Forgiveness is different from reconciliation. So often it's hard to find support as a partner without finding the support of people who your marriage making it is their top concern. And I think that was mentioned earlier, but if that's the top concern, people aren't really going to be concerned for me or even necessarily my husband. It, you know, when the marriage becomes kind of an idol like that. Um, So I did forgive my husband pretty early on, but the process of reconciliation took longer. And I wanted to get there, but that was really gonna be dependent on his actions and attitude. And I have to say that we are together, and I I like to say this about him, we are not together because I'm such a great forgiver and I'm a great Christian. And we're together because he did the work and he changed his actions and his attitude and, and had he not done that, it wasn't imperative that I stay because um, I stayed because he did that. So I would say um, 
forgiveness needs to be treated really carefully by everybody. Um, blaming every issue on our betrayal. Um, the betrayal infiltrates everything. Betrayal is broken trust. When you have broken trust, I have to say it does infiltrate every area. And um, that is the pain of broken trust. Uh, it does infiltrate every area. So I think there just needs to be space for that in a marriage. I think it's really important that um, you're not only going to your wife for comfort. If you're in a group, you can get kudos for your sobriety from your group. You can get support from your group. Um, when you're with her, she needs to have space to be the one that was injured in the marriage. And that could be difficult for you. But um, Doug Weiss did, had this great example of you know, when you're, when your husband, when you, your wife is betrayed, it's like you took a machine gun and shot her up. And sometimes when you're starting to talk about your pain to her specifically, it feels like you're talking about the pain that you have in your trigger finger, because man, this, this whole episode really hurt my finger. I feel like I can't even move it very well anymore. Or, you know, this could be the stress that the discovery has on him. And that is stressful but you're talking to the woman that you shot. <laughs> so she's lying bloody on the ground and you're talking about your, your, your trigger finger. So it's good to keep that in mind, especially at the beginning. And like Julie said, who knows how long that beginning takes. It just takes the time that it takes. It's really important that you have support in other places besides your wife. Um, it's difficult to go to your wife and say like, hey, I haven't looked at pornography for six weeks. Well, that's great. I know how hard that is for an addict, but you're just doing what you promised her you would do at the altar. And so it's, she, you can't go to her for the gold star. You can't go to her for the kudos that you need, but you really do need your group. So, um, cause you do need encouragement in that area. So I think for a while, when you're with your wife, you, you have to know that that betrayal is going to infiltrate every area. And then how can we address issues with how we are treated even before being found out? Um, before being found out, your your addiction was impacting everything in your marriage. So it's, it's a little bit hard to go backwards um, because it was having an impact um, without, okay. So I think what you're asking here is, you know, how do we just deal with the normal marital issues? What if like she has an attitude problem or um, she spends all the money or, you know, you think about normal marital issues, marriage counseling issues. Well, those are set aside for a little while. Um, if I was married to a meth addict and we went to get help and somebody said, go to marriage counseling, that's what you guys need to do right now is go to marriage counseling that would be ridiculous because you can't deal with the marital issues that are, I guess, for lack of a better word, the normal marriage issues that everybody has. It's really hard to deal with those until you get the meth addiction out of the way because it colors everything. It impacts everything. So when, you know, we go to get help and the, somebody says, well, you should go to marriage counseling. That's just a it's not the time to be working on those regular issues. It's the time to work on the traumatic issue at hand. Now, when that is dealt with well, which is what we're here talking about, um, 
eventually you can get to the regular marriage issues. And I feel like that's, that's where we are after five years. I mean, that's when we can talk about other things now without the addiction tainting everything. And I do have issues. I do have things I need to work on. I do have, I'm not a perfect person, but you know, when you have something so glaring as an addiction, that's not the time to be asking her about that. That's not the time to be talking about it. It's not the time. It's not what she needs right now. And finally, without how do I do all this without seeming defensive? Um, there's no way to do that except for to not be defensive. If you're going to try to seem non-defensive, it's like, you can't do that. There's no way around the attitude change. You, you're going to need to embrace some of these things that I've just said and not be defensive. And that might take you a little while to get there, but there's no faking in any of this. So if you seem defensive, it's because you are defensive. And if you are defensive, there's no possible way to seem non-defensive or undefensive. So um, again, grace toward you, toward her. This is going to take time. It's going to take the time that it takes. But if you really care about yourself and your change and care about her, um, it's, it's just going to take time. And I would say this is not the time to bring up her faults. Mm -hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Couldn't agree more. And your perspective is so, so vital on all of that. And that's, uh, yeah, some, some of the things that was going through my mind as you were talking, Corey, too, is the um, specific things that I've heard from guys uh, that, you know, she she's mothering. She tells me what to do. She's harsh. She's been this way, you know, for years. And, okay, those things may be true. Um, and the dynamic in your marriage is, and in most marriages, like you said, yeah, there's two parties that bring baggage into a marriage. And, and there are things that we, that, that, you know, like you said, normal, whatever normal marriage problems are, uh, communication, finances, parenting, you know, those, uh, and, and sex certainly are some of the bigger topics that people have to deal with. But I'm telling, you know, I tell guys for sure, you know, you went out and you had an affair. Okay. She, she you, you have brought an offense into the marriage. That's quite a bit different and the dynamic is very different from all of those things that you mentioned. Maybe she is mothering. Maybe she is. Maybe she was that way. But the focus is going to be on you, and you have to put that aside. You have to put those things aside for a time. And in in the meantime, sure, she has to. She's going to be dealing with the betrayal, and you are going to be dealing with getting clean, getting better. You know, um, getting sober if you will. And so that, uh, that has to take place before you can go and start addressing the other issues in the marriage. And, and it is in both cases. And I think I've seen, uh, maybe you'll agree. I've seen this with partners as well. You know, once, once you get farther down the road after this, uh, has happened, uh, because a guy is really addressing some of the heart issues that are behind, you know, his addictive behavior anyways, you know, his heart has changed in such a way that uh, his his wife is a lot more open to working on marriage counseling, to to going in, moving into that, uh, whatever the timeline is, of course, you know, which is different for everybody. But uh, that's what I've seen as well. It's just um, 
that uh, she's going to be more open to to working on her things down the road if he has worked on himself diligently you know and the issues that he has brought into the marriage that have always been there before not just his sexual acting out but um yeah so so important Michael, could I add a, just an example where I felt like I, I got to the point where I could own some of my things? Because mm-hmm. um, I, I just, I can hardly even actually talk about this without tears. But, um, you know, when an addict has a secret life, and I, I see a lot of addicts who are kind of demanding and feel entitled to privacy. And so for a long time, um, you know, privacy is something that as human beings, we all need and want to secrecy when there have been lies or betrayals comes into the marriage. And it's really hard to tell the for a partner to tell the difference between privacy and secrecy. In fact, there is no difference. So when, you know, my husband was wanting privacy or private time, especially if you're, you need that, if you're introverted, like you need time away. Um, there was a time when there was just not much of a private life. Um, for my husband and, and he was understanding of that. And, um, I had, I had just had so many, you know, secrets come out that it was just that, that it was so hard for me that I kept an eye open for those. And I did arrive at a place in my marriage, even before, even while we were still, um, separated where I stopped my, the actions that I have of, safety seeking and kind of looking into what he was doing and trying to make my world safe by like, you know, going through bills or looking for things or doing things that would just, I wanted to keep my world safe. And I wanted to know if there were any secrets. So um, he had this uh, kind of a, like a, I don't know, briefcase that was locked that had been given to him by someone a long time ago. And I came across it one day when I was cleaning and it was locked. And I, I just, out of my old behaviors, I just felt like, why is this locked? What is in here? And so I ended up breaking the lock and kind of ruining it and opening it. And it was just his private stuff. It was just some stuff that he was keeping in there. Nothing bad, nothing secret, nothing he was hiding from me. And I think it was at that moment I was overwhelmed with just his need to feel human his need to feel, you know, pornography in my husband's own words made him feel like he wasn't human. And that was not, he didn't blame that on me. He blamed that on the addiction. And so he, you know, seeking to feel human to be, and I I think a lot of men are seeking their rights, seeking the, the right to do things, to have privacy, to, to feel human. And that is such a good path to be on early on, your partner probably needs a ton of, you know, clues that you're doing okay. But I think that was at that moment that I broke that open, that I was just, I felt so sad. And I I apologized for doing that because he had done things for a while then that made me able to trust him. And I just felt real grief over that. And I, that, that changed me that moment of just like beginning to get to a point where I was trusting him more, wanting him to have private time, wanting to have his own space, his own things. And that came after him doing a lot of hard work of building trust. But I guess I just want to give hope that if you can be patient and give her space to feel pain and to be hurt and to 
do the things you need to do to rebuild trust that we already talked about, um, that will matter and that will change her also. And you, you can get to a point where she's actually sorry about things too. And that you have more of a mutual relationship, which is what you're going for is a mutual trusting relationship. Yeah. The, the F word on forgiveness. Uh, I think, uh, I've, t- I've also told guys like, um, certainly if you're going to ask her for, for grace, mercy, for forgiveness, uh, you need to extend her, to her at least the amount that you're asking her to give to you. And so putting those things aside is going to be part of that. Um, so moving on to um, the next question, do you recommend husbands do a daily or weekly check-in with sobriety with their wife? And what amount of detail do wives need to hear on a break in sobriety? I can answer that. Um, I th- I'm coming from a partner sensitive stance. So there's no formula. There's no formula for her when developing boundaries and then maybe transitioning out of those again. There's no formula for him when it comes to check-in, how much, when, what do I do? But the best thing you can do is sit down with your coach or counselor and her and let her tell you what's gonna help her feel safe. If it's daily, do it. If it's weekly, do it. Um, and then determine the amount of um, information that she wants. And, you know, and that is something that can take some time because in the beginning, um, partners usually want everything, sometimes not. But there, it, there are times where I know that they would recommend that certain details that could ruin certain parts of your life. Like, for instance, um, I was working with a couple and um, she was the one who had the addiction. And, um, and the cheating had led her to share a food with her, uh, with her um, part, with the person she was in relationship with, the infidelity relationship. And the food was an ethnic food that meant a lot to their culture. And so what it came down to is there were certain things that he didn't want to hear that were going to ruin that for him forever. And so this is the piece where, you know, songs or things that you shared with that, that um, person that you had that affair with, you know, where we're going through that detail by detail with a coach or counselor can be so helpful um, because as much as she needs the truth and she should have that. And if she wants it, you need to give it to her. Um, but the pieces that she can hash out with someone that she might still be able to preserve some things in her life that she doesn't have to lose. Um, because every time she hears that song or sees that food, it's ruined for her. You know, so that's the piece where it can be a little bit tricky and where it really truly is important to get counsel on that. Um, but you gotta give her what's going to help her feel safe. I can't say that enough. Yeah. So it definitely is going to be specific to each couple for sure. Um, cookie cutter approaches don't work, um, in so many cases, but generally, yeah, uh, we've recommended a 24 hour rule. And a lot of couples have embraced that if, if he, um, has a slip, he's going to, confess within 24 hours, but that's still, yeah, it needs to be up to that individual couple. Uh, so the next question is, 
uh, kind of piggybacking on that, how do you coach a partner through a relapse? So, well, I definitely like to normalize that relapse is often a part of recovery, not always, but often a part of recovery. And I love what Corey said that for the addict, the relapse is not a going back to square one, but for the partner, it often is. And so for a couple to know that is really helpful for that spouse, the one that's been betrayed to know, like, just because he had a relapse doesn't mean he's back to square one, although you feel back to square one. And so um, normalizing it as this doesn't mean that he's not making progress. This doesn't mean that he can't learn from that. I'd like to tell partners that if he's working a good recovery program, he will be able to look back and see what were his triggers and he will actually learn from that relapse if he's working a good program, if he has the right help. If he's not working a recovery program and getting the right help, I can point that out to her as a potential place where she needs to set more boundaries, where she needs to make different requests of the work that he does. But even in that situation, it can be a great teacher. I mean, pain can be one of our greatest teachers. So if he is upset by this relapse, it may be a sign to him that he's got some holes in his recovery program or he needs to deal with aspects of his recovery differently. Maybe he needs a different sponsor, <clears throat> a different coach or a therapist. Maybe there are ways that he is missing some triggers that he didn't realize he had. So I try to take a really hopeful approach with a partner. However, if there's been a relapse and he is not actually working a recovery program and he's, he's not even checking the boxes, then I would coach her to consider whether she needs new or different uh, boundaries to keep herself safe. Because you can act like you're doing recovery, but you know, because you're reading a book, but you're not going to your meetings. You're not doing what your coach or counselor tells you to do. And so it really partly depends on whether this relapse was a part of a, of a good recovery program or whether if, if it just keeps happening over and over and over again, I will encourage that partner to think through what she needs mm. and to maybe set some different boundaries. Yeah, very good point. There has to be some holes in the program if it keeps happening that on, no, over and over and over, like you're saying. So next question is from single, uh, a single man. What would you recommend to someone who's not yet married, uh, who has this struggle? Are there things that we can do going into marriage uh, to work better together? Well, I would definitely not get married while you're still dealing with this addiction. I would highly recommend that you put on the altar the belief that when you get married, it, let, let's say you're practicing abstinence before you get married and you think, oh, well, this is just the problem because I can't be sexual right now. But once we get married and we can have sex, then this problem will go away. I've never seen that work. I've only ever seen a porn problem grow when somebody gets married, if they haven't uh, addressed it to the point where they have dealt with it and, and they're not acting out anymore before they get married. <clears throat> and the reasons for that are probably another podcast for another day. But um, the point being, I would, I would address it and deal with it. I would definitely tell her what you're dealing with. And if you, if you meet somebody and are starting to date, I would tell them sooner rather than later that you've had this as an issue. Um, 
And if you're getting closer to getting married, I would delay the wedding until you've had at least 90 days of recovery. And 90 days is a kind of a big number for a lot of people in this in this realm because it's a, 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 the amount of time it takes to really start rewiring that brain to take a different pathway when you're dealing with painful emotions or um, insecurity. When you're dealing with all the triggers of the addiction, to have 90 days of not acting out can build great pathways for new and healthy recovery behaviors. Um, so, you know, figuring out what it is that, that triggers you, figuring out what it is that you need. Like if you did not have a father figure in your life and somebody who really poured into you and fathered you and called out your identity, then pour your time and effort instead of looking to date for your time and effort into building good, solid, deep relationships with older men that can pour into you. So we need connection, but I would not seek connection with a life partner while you're dealing with this struggle. Mm, excellent. Excellent feedback. So the next question is, what would you give us, or would you give us a real life example of living empathetically? And empathy uh, can be a, a strange word for a lot of men, I know, or if we uh, maybe are not good at it, I think, historically. So this is a really good question, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. And unfortunately, I think our society makes it hard for men to do this. Um, though I want to point out, and my husband always says, like, one sex isn't more emotional than another. We all have the same emotions. We all have the same need to share them and to be heard and to feel. But I think our culture has not necessarily given men the same benefit of that. And so it's a hard road, but the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. So here's a really common thing in a, in a coupleship is I so want him, the person that I love the most, to bear the pain with me that I have over the betrayal. And this is a very hard dynamic is that I have, I have pain and he caused it to a large extent, but I still want him to bear the pain with me. How can you bear the pain with your wife without spiraling into shame and then relapsing? <laughs> and she's afraid that you're gonna spiral into shame and relapse. So she might not wanna share things with you. Um, but this is a worthy battle and it, it might be really hard. You might need to get help from friends to live empathetically with your wife and to bear some of that pain with her without spiraling into shame because she's afraid you're going to do that and you're afraid you're going to do that. Um, shame, I think. I, I used to think pornography was the third person in our marriage, but then I realized it was shame because the shame was causing so much of the, the acting out. And I... Um, I, I renamed what our enemy was. So I'm just going to give a few helpful things that my husband has done to live empathetically with me. Um, there are times when I share my pain without him talking about his pain. And you can plan that in. If you're a partner, you can say, this is a time I need to talk about my pain without you saying anything. Or if you're feeling strong as the, as the person who has the struggle going to your partner and saying, hey, tell me how you're feeling and maybe being prepared not to spiral into shame when you hear it. 
Um, so an attitude of non-defensiveness, I think saying what else has been a huge tool. When, you, when you're talking to your spouse and she just continues to talk and talk, what else? What else? What else? Because often you'll get to the thing that's really the most painful thing. But if the first thing she says is like, it just really bothers me how you were gone all night and I didn't know where you were. What else? But often what we do is like, well, when are you going to get over this? And I've said, I'm sorry. And you know, like, that's a defensive posture. So you see how that just cut off the empathetic conversation right away. So if you can remember what else, I think you can get really far in a conversation with your spouse in an empathetic way. If you can learn to say, what do you need today without any strings attached? That's a great way to live empathetically with your partner. What do you need today? What do you need today? What else? Like just no strings attached. I'm here to help you. Um, one thing now that we've been living back together and I really feel like our relationship was resurrected because of the work that my husband did. Um, sometimes I'll just relive something or I'll, I'll start crying because I'm so happy that he's there. Um, and it was so hard. I think separation was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, sometimes he'll just listen to me say what else. And then he'll just say, I'm so sorry that my past actions caused you to have these triggers. I'm, I want to assure you that I'm still on my road and I'm sober and I'm fine. And, and so I think it's the acknowledging that even though it's been a long time, he still acknowledges the pain that that caused me and that I'll be triggered by still every once in a while. Um, and he acknowledges it and then he assures me again. And that is, that is so empathetic. Um, but he actually really feels empathy now as a thing. And so at the beginning, I don't, don't even think he felt empathy. That was a, it was a skill. It's a skill you can build. I didn't know that. I didn't, I thought empathy was something you had or didn't have, but it's actually a skill you can build. So I would say at the beginning, take these two phrases, what else and what do you need today? And just give space for a time that you're not going to bring up how you're hurt when she's talking. And eventually, I really believe if you stay on that road, you will feel empathy and you will care and you will be able to mutually care about each other in your marriage. Yes. Thank you so much. That's a really great example. So powerful to have that, uh, the real life examples. So that uh, was our last question. Thank you, ladies, so much for being a part of this podcast and answering these questions. I know this is going to be extremely helpful for so many people out there. <laughs>